did you ever think it could expand into what it what it is today? No. <laughs> Even, <laughs> influence is it's such a powerful word, mm-hmm. really, and it can be used for so much good, but also having integrity with that influence mm-hmm. and being able to also appreciate the people that appreciate you and giving that if they have trust in you, so have that trust in them and have a mutual respect. I'm not an expert and I I don't want to be an expert and that's not what I set out to be, which is why I love the community because I bring the power back to them and say, you guys are the experts. You know, we have to help each other. We stand today. The Business Method with The Shadow. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue. And now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results, economies, and cultures. There's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this, and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method those that travel abroad are almost certain to run into another traveler that has the dream of starting a blog about traveling this is a passion for many and it's exciting when we get to meet somebody who's actually done it and made it into a successful business Our guest today is Alexandra Jimenez, and she is the founder of one of the world's most popular travel blogs, Travel Fashion Girl. Alexandra started the blog out while traveling with the intention of just helping females travel the world in a carry-on suitcase. The idea took off, and now she's turned it into a very successful business that has thousands of community members and a million monthly readers. Alexandra and I get to chat about influence today, how she has built her blog and community, how she grew her Pinterest to 2.6 million monthly viewers and her blog to a million monthly readers. And without further ado, let's welcome Alexandra to the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. And Alex, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. And it's been a while since we chatted last, but since recently, you guys have hit a major milestone with Travel Flash Fashion Girl. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you have a million monthly readers now. Is that right? Yes, we just hit a million monthly visitors um, last month. And we have over 2 million monthly page views. So that's super exciting. It was a long time coming. So I'm happy to finally get there. <laughs> when did you start the business? 2011? I started um, the website in August of 2012, but I did start researching it in 2011. So I spent a year researching it while I was traveling. Okay. And so so we want to talk influence on the podcast today, and you've uh, accumulated a significant amount of influence. And kind of what we've come up up with is that there's a couple different ways to gain influence. One, 
to um, build it directly out working on influence by becoming an influencer in some sort of niche or two, um, become successful at doing whatever you're doing. And because you get amazing results in, in whatever you're doing, you gain influence. And would you agree with that? I think that makes sense. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you started out, were you just kind of hopping around the world and traveling and decided you wanted to start a, a blog slash website slash business? Yes, I've been traveling since 2008. I quit my corporate job in January 2008 and um, continued to travel for several years. And I was tired of packing and way too much stuff. So I decided to go online and research and didn't find the information I wanted. So I set off to do the research myself. I interviewed other travelers on the road at hostels and decided to share the information I found on a website. And at that point, if I made money on it, that would have been a bonus. But my goal really was to help other travelers avoid my packing mistakes and kind of get the word out there. It seems like such a simple and small thing. Like it's a really good intention, right? But did you ever think it could expand into what it, what it is today? No. (laughs) (laughs) Great answer. I mean, you know, when my 30 second elevator pitch is, you know, hi, my name is Alex. I'm, I have a website called Travel Fashion Girl where we teach women how to travel stylishly light for any destination in the world. And essentially what we do is we help women travel in a carry on size suitcase. And that is so specific. And I would have never guessed. And when people hear my elevator pitch, it's like, wait, how did the website get so big? I don't know. It's, it's incredible. I would have never expected it. Did you think it could even be a full-time business when you started it out? No. I mean, in 2012, I just, you know, I'd seen people writing blogs and starting to, to you know, people said they were monetizing it, but it really wasn't a thing. I didn't know how it would make money and I didn't really think about it from that perspective particularly because somebody gave me the advice that I shouldn't, that I should focus on creating great content. And then if I did, then the money um, would follow. And even though I didn't do it for the money, it it did follow in the end. But my initial hope was just $200 a week so I could just finance my long-term travels. (laughs) That was my goal. (laughs) And how long did it take to start producing money? It was very quick. um, I started using... SEO from day one. So the website content grew, the website grew really quickly because of it. And because we reached a high visitor rate really quickly, it also allowed us to start attracting advertisers as well. And back then sponsored posts are really popular. I don't do them anymore and I haven't for many years, but um, that was one, a very easy way to monetize your blog. So that's how I started out just a couple months into it. How long did it take you to get to the point to where you were making a few hundred dollars a week and paying for your travels? I think it was also a couple of months. Wow. Um, It was, you know, and it definitely was from a variety of different, you know, revenue streams. But initially it was a sponsored post because people would pay you a couple hundred dollars to put um, for a guest post or a backlink and it seemed innocent enough back then. So I did it. So if you did that four times a month, once a week, and which I could because I was producing um, content five to seven times a week, then at that point, it was really covering my costs very quickly. Mm -hmm. We had another travel blogger 
but he's a travel blogger, but doesn't have a travel blog on the show recently. And he kind of, uh, what I've seen from the blogging world is that it seems like the ones that work work pretty quickly. Um, because he, his name's Alex Nerney. And as soon as him and his girlfriend launched their website, uh, within month one, they were making a few hundred bucks, month two doubled, month three doubled. And then I think by month seven, it was like $40,000. So it shot up really quickly. Have you noticed that in the blogging world? Is that, is that a thing where the ones that seem like they're going to work, they start to monetize pretty quickly? I think now in, um, now it's a lot easier than it was back then to actually do that because there's a lot more information about treating a blog as a business. And back then it was less seen as a business and even, you know, with, with advertisers or other companies, I think only recently it's been getting more respect as an actual job as, as a, um, a business that actually brings in a, a, and it could actually, you know, bring a decent amount of money in. Um, so because of that, people start approaching a blog from a, with a business mindset from day one. If I would have approached it from with a business, more of a business mindset from day one, I would have also probably been able to monetize it a lot faster Mm -hmm. and a higher rate as well. So I think now if people think about it in that perspective and really apply the best practices, that is an opportunity because with a blog, there aren't as much, you know, if you were starting, um, another type of business, a brick and mortar business, there'd be a lot of overhead costs, right. but online there aren't. So it's much easier to get more revenue with less overhead and following the kind of the, the formulas and the information that's out there now. Yeah. I want to talk, uh, move to, to talk more about, um, influence and growing influence and how it's an, impacted you over the past few years of r- running this business. Um, how would you how would you define Alex influence in your terms? Influence in my terms is the um, having reach, being able to reach a certain um, audience in, in a niche, and in doing so, being a leader in that industry or being a leader, not necessarily an expert, but being a leader in that industry. And with as being a leader with anything, it also requires responsibility. So the level of influence, you have, you know, one of my biggest things is having integrity with that influence Mm -hmm. and being able to also appreciate the people that appreciate you and giving that if they have trust in you, also have that trust in them and have a mutual respect. So influence is, it has, I don't know, it's such a powerful word (laughs) really. And it can be used for so much good, but also, you know, it can teeter on the bit more negative side at times as well. Have you, have you noticed any challenges being a female influencer that have, have really stood out for you, but have been like impactful uh, experiences um, that turned into positive lessons, or they could even be negative experiences that you kind of are more aware of and more conscious of now? Not from specifically from a, a woman's perspective, but because I am speaking directly, to, I'm speaking specifically to the female, to a female audience, I think it's for me, it's been a benefit because I've been able to really focus in on who I'm targeting and who I'm trying to reach. And that has been a benefit for me, but I haven't 
seen a negative aspect of it as being from being a female influencer. I don't actually have um, like 99.9% of my audience is women. Yeah. I'd probably say there's a few stragglers that are maybe, you know, family or friends that follow me that are male, but for the most part, it's all women. So I've had a really, I'm very fortunate and very grateful that I've had um, a pretty positive response from the online world. So I hope yeah. that continues. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. I'm always curious. I enjoy the fact, like I'm a guy and I like being a guy and I like guy communities and, and, and I like having guy communities. I'm sure, uh, have you enjoyed leading a, a movement for female travelers? Yes, a hundred percent. I am so passionate about it. And even now more than ever, you know, when I started traveling back in 2008 there, I, it was, I was still really completely clueless as to the opportunities to travel solo, especially as a woman. I remember, you know, meeting girls at hostels and thinking you're traveling alone. That's it's, aren't you scared? Aren't you afraid? And, <laughs> and, you know, knowing how it was, and for me, it's very important to remember, I am a much more experienced traveler now, but you know, growing up, in, growing up in Los Angeles, working for a corporate world and not knowing about travel, not growing up in a family that traveled, so I didn't really understand the opportunities that were out there. And now with my audience, I'm able to hear, to have a relationship with them and get insights on their fears, on their concerns. And it really has inspired me now more than ever to get the, to sort of transition my, my business where I am sort of influencing them in a different perspective. It's not scary and that it is possible to do it as a woman um, alone. and. I'm actually very passionate about that right now. Yeah, I think it's really cool because uh, I started traveling full time in 2011, and um, one thing I noticed almost immediately was uh, how people outside the U.S. There's, there's, it's. I think it's much more likely for females outside the U.S. to travel solo than inside the U.S. Have you found that also? I did, particularly in the past. Yeah. Um, particularly when I was, particularly back then, it was even Americans actually back. I remember in 2008, 2010, when you'd meet an American, um, particularly Southeast Asia and Africa, it was, oh my gosh, you're from the US? Awesome. So cool. Like we never meet anybody else from the US. <laughs> and then, um, you know, social media has really changed that, I think. And also, um, 2008 recession also, I think, changed that as well. Um, which is how I ended up traveling, but, and seeing Americans, more Americans on the road, but with that also more American solo travelers. But before that, it definitely would be more common to see Canadians, Australians, Europeans on the road as solo travelers. And that one person I said, you know, that I met at a hostel and I said, you know, aren't you afraid? I think she was from Germany. So a hundred percent, it was, it's not as common. Yeah, I was, I did the, uh, I had the Camino de Santiago, I think in 2013 for the first time. And there was, um, an 18 year old girl from Denmark hiking, hiking it solo. So it's like a five week hike throughout, uh, the North of Spain. And I was shocked. I was like, you know, are your parents okay with this? And, and she was like, yeah, of course, you know, we travel solo all the time. We're Europeans. And, uh, but I thought it was so cool too, because, um, it's great that, um, uh, people can feel safe enough to go to different areas around the world and, and enjoy different places around the world. Cause it sucks to, to go somewhere and travel and, and 
feel threatened, you know, even as a male solo traveler, traveler, many times in my life, sometimes I'll go to a place and I'll, I'll come accidentally walk down the wrong road and realize, Oh crap, maybe I should walk down this road. Yeah. I think also what you said is really interesting. You said it was an 18 year old um, girl. And that's another thing as well is there is a higher number of younger solo female travelers. And now I'm seeing a lot more, I'd probably say female travelers, solo female travelers in their late twenties and their thirties. Um, obviously of all ages, but there's always, you know, certain age groups that, that stand out. And, but I, I would definitely meet younger women um, from countries outside of the U S for sure. I'm sure you have um, plenty of inspirational stories of people that you uh, helped to travel more. Do you have any off the top of your head that you can share of, of people that, that sent you a note or a message that said, you know, I experienced this or I did something so cool because of, of you inspiring me to travel and, and go, uh, uh, go amongst the world and follow my dreams? I have, and that has been one of the biggest honors of, of being in this industry is being able to, to reach people like that. One person that actually stands out is someone I met recently who said she'd been reading the the blog since 2013 so for what six years now and she was really inspired to travel and she loved my story and she traveled some places but she actually hadn't made that that big leap yet but what was really powerful about that conversation with her I and mean, she was actually really a big part of the inspiration of why I'm really motivated to try to reach more women now because she said that she thought she needed more money to travel or she thought she needed to have an online job to travel and hearing her story and knowing that she was inspired, inspired by my story made me realize I actually haven't told people that I was a budget traveler. I actually am not communicating the fact that I wasn't a wealthy traveler. I wasn't a trust fund kid. I wasn't, you know, I worked my butt off and saved every penny that I could working like literally 20 hours a day to save money so I could travel before and backpack around the world. And that was a really important message that I now feel that I haven't shared and I really would like to. So hearing from Karen, um, hearing her stories now and having a chance to talk to her and say, if you have, you know, this much money saved and this is how you can do that. I, I don't know. I loved it. I just loved knowing. And hopefully, I hope um, hope that she tells me that she's now taken the leap of faith and started traveling because she said she was going to now within you um, with more information she would. So there are many Karens out there and I have heard from many of them. But what most touched me about that is knowing that people still think it's it's hard to travel. Yeah. And I want to change that. Being a being having the influence that you do, Alex, and in talking to your community and the people people that are watching your videos and following you on social media. When you decide to communicate a message or talking about travel or solo travel or, or even, you know, uh, packing, like, is there a process that you have to make sure that you're aware of what you're communicating to making sure your communication is going to have a positive impact on your community? One of the things that I've done since day one I really wanted people to to try to make it a very neutral place as much as possible. You know, I could only give information that wasn't about me, that it was more general information that people could then use to apply 
to their lives. And that's always been my, my biggest thing is hoping that I can provide tips that are general enough that they can um, customize for themselves. That's been one of the, the biggest ways for me to resonate with the audience. And I think that's been very successful even now, the, especially now with, you know, within the a big part of my community hangs out on, on our Facebook group. And they, some people say they're only on Facebook to be a part of our group because they love how positive and welcoming the community is. It's not judgmental. There's, there aren't any trolls or people that are genuinely trying to help. That's what I was trying to do when I started the website. So now it's, it's really been very, um, touching that now my initial reason for starting the website now people are taking it on and they're passing it forward and continuing that so that's kind of the environment that I've created and I've strived to create so hopefully it stays that way (laughs) (laughs) yeah it sounds wonderful I'm curious like how do you create an environment that, that that doesn't have trolls because it's so easy when you have a significant amount of influence to get trolls and and they're I wouldn't, they're an ongoing issue, I think, of, of, of many different people, you know, and even if the a person is the nicest person in the world, they're still going to have somebody that's going to hate on them for some reason. So I'm curious, like maybe some tips you could share with the listeners about um, doing your best to create an environment that is troll free or to manage uh, that sort of communication if it does come up. Within the group itself, people are um, very strict. (laughs) I I kind of feel like a parent sometimes where I have really strict rules. Um, But I think because of that, the audience, um, the readers really appreciate it. And they are dedicated to keeping those rules enforced. And, you know, the rules that we have are positive, any negativity. Like We have zero tolerance for negativity. I put that out there from from at the very top, if people so much as even give a snide remark, they're deleted, they're gone. So we do spend a lot of time moderating to ensure that people have a good experience and people do appreciate that. And because they're, they're used to that, they want to continue it. And if somebody happens to be out of line, they'll report them or, you know, and then they don't want to argue because they don't want to be banned from the group. I will not give warnings. I will just ban people and remove them because with a lot of people, I, I used to just give warnings, but with a lot of people, you can't do that. And running a group is really time consuming. And, um, but I am fully dedicated to try to um, keep those resources high yeah. um, as well as trying to give a positive message. I mean, I don't like negativity in my life. That's just the way. And I don't, try to interact with negative people just on a personal level. And I try not to invite that. And I try to be, you know, I'm from Southern California. I'm from Los Angeles. So I'm pretty, um, I like to be a happy individual. I like to um, have a smile on my face and I want to interact with people like that. And I think in me bringing that to the community, bringing my own personal vibes, I suppose also kind of encourages that from them. I'm not sure if that's a formula to avoid trolls. I think that's what's helped. And also being very, I don't argue with people. If, you know, maybe someone's having a bad day, that's fine. I'll just delete their comment, you know. But there's always someone, I'm not, I'm not out there to say, you know what, you're wrong, I'm right. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. And I don't engage in argumentative or negative conversations. And I think sometimes where I see things go awry is when I see 
people um, with a social media outlet that they then go and they try to argue with the person or tell them why they're wrong or why they're right. And my goal isn't to try to tell people that I'm right. I'm just sharing some information and I'm not an expert and I, I don't want to be an expert and that's not what I set out to be, which is why I love the community because I bring the power back to them and say, you guys are the experts. You know, we have to help each other. What would be an example like of a, a, a snide comment that somebody would leave that you guys would ban? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny because, I mean, it, it has, or the group, you know, we're talking about packing. You uh, know, just someone would say something as, as snide as, well, I don't see why, you know, I don't understand why you do something like that or I don't see why you'd want to pack that or you know, it could be something as simple as that. And then we'll kind of keep an eye on them and determine if they've been making snide comments like that throughout different threads. Uh -huh. You know, even if it's just um, trying to demean someone or bully someone, it could be very, you know, bullying comes in a lot of forms. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen people say, oh, well, I'd never spend that much money on a pair of pants. And, you know, well, <laughs> That's not fair because it's also like saying it's criticizing somebody's choices, yeah. essentially. If you're criticizing someone, you don't need to be in our group. We're not there to criticize because everybody's uh, entitled to their own opinion and everybody has different experiences. So, And there's with 14,000 people in the group, there's someone that's going to resonate with, with that particular person. Yeah. You know, It's silly. And then we then have those – then we have people that will make um, – uh, just something rude about somebody's looks, size, or maybe political affiliation. In that case, gone. We have a strict rule with no politics, no religion, no conversations that aren't related to the topic. Just unnecessary to bring that into the space. We don't let them. In, we don't approve those posts. We do monitor. We do uh, manually approve every single post, mm -hmm. and also are very selective with with the people that we approve into the group. But also, um, people can talk, have these have discussions about world news all over online, but it doesn't have to be within our group. There's plenty of places for people to have those discussions. So we just delete those, um, those posts. I, I like that regulation. You know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm learning a lot about influencers and how they maintain their influence in their communities and their followings. And I, I've worked with influencers that have had haters and trolls pretty significantly. And then once you delete a comment, uh, if it's a, on a, a private form, it's great because you can control that. But on a public form, uh, then, it, then of course, everybody else says, why did you de delete all the comments that were hating against so-and-so, <laughs> you know? So it's like you can, you can do no right, uh, have no right action, no matter how good your intentions are, which is a delicate balance. So you, like, I understand in uh, the community, but do you, do you ever experience trolls in a public forum or in a, maybe on YouTube or something like that where uh, do you delete those as well? I'm about to say that I've been really lucky. We get such, we get such minimal a minimal amount of trolls, uh -huh. and I'm saying this. I hope like no, I'm not just now. Like <laughs> I have like a rush of trolls attacking all my social platforms, but the occasional one we do delete because it's um, if it's something rude or unnecessary. If someone's just saying you know, oh well, that's wrong for this reason, we say okay, you know, we just let it go. Not, not a big deal. Yeah. If someone's being rude and necessarily, well, that's kind of my space. That's our space and the videos that we create, the content we create. It's not for everyone, but it's for our community. And if someone isn't, um, doesn't appreciate it, well, they don't need to be a part of that community. So if we delete that or ban them, then it's not the 
then they're not being hurt because we weren't really for them anyway. So I'm just doing them a favor by getting me off their newsfeed. That makes sense. Let's talk about like now you have a million monthly followers. Um, what are some, like if somebody's building a blog and they're working really hard and they want to get, get it up to that level, what are some of the key, key things that, um, uh, you guys do that, that really helped you gain that sort of traction over the years? The number one thing is SEO. Yeah. Um, I've been keywording every single article, whether poorly or properly, but, um, I've been keywording it since day one. So now we have over 2000 blog posts over the years that all the keywords have accumulated. And that's definitely been a big factor with the traffic. And I've always seen the, my approach with SEO is I can create good content, but if no one's going to read it, I can't help them. So I use SEO to help people find me so I can help them. And in doing so, I write, I don't write for the search engines, I write for people. And then I find keywords that are relevant to what we write so that way I can help people find me. Mm-hmm. And that's been very, a very effective strategy. And I used to call it reverse SEO back in the day because people, you know, said that I, that was wrong. But now, you know, currently that's best practice. So, so it's worked out in my favor. I think kind of, I'm, I'm not one to to follow the rules. I like to do what's right for me. I like to look at different tactics and strategies and I listen, but I make it, you know, I work, I make it make sense for me. So SEO has been a big one. Um, And a second one would be social media. So I come from a marketing background. So my initial social media attempts were guerrilla marketing. I was finding people going you know, having people on Twitter saying, oh, I'm traveling here. I don't know what to pack. Just random conversations on Twitter back then. I don't use Twitter anymore, but it was going to them and saying, oh, hey, well, here are some tips on what to pack. And you can also find more information on this blog post if you'd like um, that'll give you more tips. So it was really that way. It was reaching people one at a, one person at a time and connecting with them and genuinely helping and it was it, it was time consuming and I'm not one for you know this has been the biggest misconception with a blog is that it's you know you see a blog post up there and whatever people aren't doing anything you know like I've made myself my health has suffered because I work so hard on this website you know mm-hmm. it's it's really been a lot of hard work a lot of time and for someone that wants to start a blog and would like to start it as a to make money from it first they have to approach it as a business and realize it's a business and if you're running a business whether it's a blog or um, a brick and mortar whatever you're doing if you're trying to exchange goods or goods or services for money that is a job so you need to treat it as such and that's the attitude that i've always had with it from the beginning um even before i realized that it was going to become a business how big is your team now alex we have there's 12 of us including my husband and um, everybody, uh, most people on the team are, they're freelancers. So they work anywhere from five to 30 hours a week, depending. Nice. And do you, are you or Harry basically running the team or do you have a a main person that kind of organizes the team or how do you, how do you structure the teamwork? A little bit of, um, a, yeah, a little bit of everything that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, we have had, um, right now we have a project manager who's kind of running the main content 
strategy and then divvying up the work amongst the team. And then um, we've also had a managing editor. We're currently hiring one, um, but we've had a managing editor who then manages the writers and, and the content because it allows me to focus on, well, what's next? How else can I help? I get to then hang out in the Facebook group. I get to then interact with the community. So if everybody's working on the admin aspect, I can focus more on, how, well, what else can I bring to the table for the community? And that's been very useful. So. Um, I do, we do also have a monthly team meeting. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, I have weekly meetings with everybody um, or almost everybody. And I really like that because I have working meetings. So during our time, not only is it an opportunity for us to connect and for um, me to spend quality time with, with um, a team member, but it's also a chance for me to, to go through the processes and work through, for example, if there's an article to explain how I would edit it or what my feedback is firsthand. So I like to have a working meeting. Maybe it's not efficient for some people, but that's where I work and that works for me. And I'd like to say that my team, I would, I would be lost without them. I am so grateful for my team. And I've been working with some of these wonderful individuals for like five years now. Um, because I, coming from a corporate mentality, I believe in hiring from within. So just kind of people have moved along. And as the website's grown and we've had new, new, new essential jobs that we need help with, you know, I've always offered a new opportunity to someone who's already been working with us because it might be something more fun or something more creative. Or I'm always trying, I always try to work around some of these, some of these um, strengths. So that's why people have been working with us for five years, four years, three years, two years. So I'm very happy with that. So you now you're promoting on pretty much all social media platforms, all major ones anyway. Um, which one has been the most effective for you? Pinterest. The one, the underdog, the one that nobody talks about. Um, in the um, the beginning, it was Twitter. That's where I was reaching, I was reaching people. Um, and then that moved on to Facebook. Um, I'm a little, I'm, I'm getting more into Instagram now that Instagram offers more opportunities, but I made the, the decision a couple of years ago to go 80, 20. Well, you do have to have a social media presence. You don't have to be everywhere. So the main, my main focus is Facebook. That's where I hang out with the community and Pinterest however, is the one that brings us the most social media traffic because people are on there researching for their travels. So Pinterest is the most underutilized social media platform for traffic because people are looking for, they go to Pinterest with the intent to research a purchase. For example, if they're decorating their homes, they're pinning pictures of, um, of color swatches, um, other you know ideas, things that they want to buy, furniture design. They're trying to get a look. Same thing for travel. People are planning their trips. They're reading articles, pinning all these articles from different blogs and websites on the things that they want to they want to know for their trip. They're getting tips. And for um, fashion, there's a people are also they research their wardrobes. They plan their weddings. They plan. Um, what outfit am I going to wear? What, what's, what's my style going to be? So they're there pinning products, pictures, images, and that content is evergreen. So some of the pins that we made four or five years ago are still bringing us so much traffic today. It's incredible. So, so take us uh, into the process of, of Pinterest because 
Um, I like Pinterest, but I don't use it. I, I quit using it because it just sucked my time up <laughs> too much. Like I would just scan and scan and scan and scan and look at like travel or uh, men's fashion. Um, take us through the process of post to, uh, I guess, engagement to how they they click to get to your website to uh, either becoming a community member or making a purchase. So with, with the way that we use Pinterest, um, again, travel is a very important topic and so is fashion. So it really works out that with, with our niche and for every single article, we create at least one image that is best practices for Pinterest or Pinterest friendly. And after an article gets published, we pin that image from directly from our website. So that way the URL is already embedded from it. Um, and you can also upload pictures directly and then edit them and put the URL. But once you have that pin of that image is in the you know Pinterest search engine, then people have an opportunity to, to find it when they're searching for you. Obviously, then you need to think about descriptions, also SEO. You know, if you're using hashtags, there's a variety of ways to try to get your content in front of other people by joining groups and and such. So that that's kind of the, the simplest form of what happens with one of our pins. But as people are collecting, they're researching. So they click a pin, find the content, find it's informative. Then on the content, we have different ways that we're monetizing that article. But the power of Pinterest is really sort of the long game because it's not something you're going to see an instant result with. But even now that we have our physical products, just as an example, use our, our packing cubes. And that pin got a thousand impressions within a couple of weeks and it had a hundred of a hundred people clicked it, clicked on it. And that was to our new website. So if you're a brand new website and you don't have any traffic, a hundred people interested in your product, that's pretty powerful. So Pinterest is not as popular right now as Instagram. I think everybody, you know, Instagram, Instagram, Instagram brands are throwing down big cash for Instagram, which is fine for brand awareness and immediate, immediate sales, immediate awareness. But Pinterest for us is long-term. So if we do have one particular piece of content that we see people resonate with, we obviously have access to analytics. We know what they're searching for. We know what they, some of what, what content they like that we produce. So we make more of that content or maybe we'll produce like 20 images for that one article and then pin them at different times. We also use um, Tailwind and um, we've bought a course on Pinterest on how to use it so we can get better strategies for it. What is Tailwind? Tailwind allows you to automate the pinning process mm -hmm. and it allows you to recycle pins. Okay. I'm not going to get into all the details because I frankly don't know them all, but I just know that um, the perfect example of a Pinterest and using an automated and a service like Tailwind that automates pins for you is that we started using Pinterest in 2013, 14. We stopped using it by accident in 2016. So for two years, we weren't really doing much with Pinterest, but 
Tailwind, um, or at that point it was Board Booster, which is now out of business, but essentially the same thing as Tailwind, that was on, automating, kind of recycling our pins, repinning the pins that were already inside of our Pinterest profile and our Pinterest boards. And as it, it just kind of refreshed them because let's say you pin something um, a week ago. Well, instead of you manually repinning it, then the, this thing does it for you because just because someone might've seen it a week ago, there's so many people that are going to miss it. So by recycling your pins, essentially you can get in front of more people. Is there a platform, a social media platform that you guys are focused more on that you're um, really excited for the growth that you think that has a lot of potential. And, and so like you, you're doing amazing on uh, Facebook, you're doing really good on Pinterest. I would say like between Instagram and YouTube, what, like what would, what would be the next one that you would focus on more? For us, it would, um, Instagram is more appealing. We are using YouTube, but we don't use YouTube to find new subscribers or a new audience. We use it really to give our existing audience a different way to digest your content. So YouTube's, YouTube, we're using it for that. That's the purpose for it. So growing that channel organically, not in a rush. With Instagram, I see a lot of opportunity there because there's a big part, there's a big audience that hangs out on Instagram but doesn't hang out on Facebook. So now going forward, that's gonna be something that I wanna spend more time utilizing, particularly later this year. Obviously, Q1, Q2, we need to have all of our goals and, um, and not overwhelm ourselves. It says you know, Protraction, the book, which is incredible. Um, but Facebook has been where we've been spending a lot of our time with that community, but the Facebook community is a different demographic. Whereas Instagram, it's not the same person that's hanging out on Facebook. So we also need to get, hang out on Instagram, especially now that Instagram has more linking opportunities, um, IGTV, and there's more ways to digest content than there was before. So I really like the new opportunities that it has. And I'm not really worried so much about the algorithm per se. I don't like to think about algorithms, but it's, again, to provide to reach our audience, to provide content in a different way. And a lot of times it's also, it, for me, the way I'd use it would be a lot of probably um, simultaneous streaming, Facebook Live, um, creating video, using recreating videos that we've made for other channels like YouTube and making them IGTV friendly and whatnot. So that's kind of our strategy for later this year. Alex, I think we're going to wrap up the show there. Uh, for the listeners, are there any other final tips uh, around influence that you would like to say? I think to use influence responsibly. It's one thing to be um, influential, another thing to be an influencer. You really have to think about your goals. You know, do you want to be an influencer because you want to get a bunch of free stuff? You want to have a bunch of followers, but it's not, it doesn't really equate to monetary success if your goal is to run a business. You know, I know people that have like uh, 300,000 people following them on Instagram, but they're not, they actually don't make money from Instagram necessarily, or they don't really um, have a big business. Whereas another business model, you might not have the, you know, it might, you might not have as many followers, but you might be able to, you might be providing an act value and a service for the, for the small, for a smaller audience. So not necessarily to be too hung up on the audience. My, my goal's never really been to grow my social. It's been to grow my blog because that's where 
it made sense for my business because sure, it's great to have fans and followers and, and whatnot, but that for me is never really equated to value of business. So just not to confuse those two things. Alex, if the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you guys have going on, where's the best place they could do that at? They can find out more about me and how to pack at travelfashiongirl.com. We're also Travel Fashion Girl on all social channels. And we just launched our physical products, our travel accessories, which you can find out more about on compassrosetravelaccessories.com. Excellent. Alex, I want to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate you having me today. Thanks again. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for joining us once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.